0: Who is your favorite boss? Jake, do you have one? Yeah, favorite boss.
1: Um, I'm thinking from all mine. So I've had my players, go. they fought Tiamat, uh, albeit a nerfed version of Tiamat, um, who was essentially a, a priest that they met in the beginning, the very first episode.
0: You scooby the doo them. Yeah,
1: scooby and Dude. then, well, no, no, actually the opposite. Uh, I kind of alien, aliened them. Uh, so they went through the whole campaign, and then came back, and the final battle took place in their hometown, uh, with the, the priest coming out, being like,
0: "Please leave, please,"
1: and then like, like all the dragon heads like shoot out of him. Oh, my God. oh. <laughs> so it was like kind of a nerf down version of Tiamat, um, because my initial games are always kind of my my homebrewed Rise of Tiamat, and I don't want them to get to like you know super high level. Mm. Um, so yeah, that. That one's great. Um, I had a, a boss called the Void King, uh, who is like the epitome of like antimatter. Yeah, very interesting. But I think my favorite's got to be, it's got to be Azraq. Um Great villain. Um, I mean, to get on the cover of two published Wizards of the Coast 5th edition D&D books is... That's a feat. Um, <laughs> so, wait, is that a
0: feat you can choose in the game? Yeah. Just appear be on, on the cover. cover. Be on the cover
1: of two books. <laughs> the Volo's uh, feat. Um, so yeah, I I loved his boss battle. I loved role-playing just this classic um kind of cliche evil lich that was just the epitome of all anti-life. Um so yeah, I'd probably say Aserak was my favorite boss. And the fight and the lead up, yeah, it was great.
0: Hmm. I was thinking more about, like, video game boss battles.
1: Oh, really? Okay. Oh, oops.
0: <laughs> but, well, <laughs> Sorry, I, I thought this was a and d really, podcast. <laughs> I don't really have any uh, D&D bosses that I, as far as I can recall. So I'll, what? I'll,
2: all I can think of right now is... I, I didn't even think about that. I was thinking about just, like, bosses in general. Not not even, like, like work bosses either. So I was thinking <laughs> about community... There's an episode where the character is taking a class about a TV show called Who's the Boss, (laughs) and it's it's them trying to figure (laughs) out
0: who the boss is.
2: It's such a good episode. And then I thought of like, I'm like, oh yeah, Community, they uh, they play D&D. I
0: feel like your mind is just a roving fishbowl of connections this morning.
2: Anyways, (laughs) I was thinking about Community and their D&D episode, and uh, one of the players in the game was the... turned out to be the boss, Mm -hmm. and I thought that was quite fun and entertaining. Mm -hmm. But in in real games, I don't know if it would be as fun or entertaining, just because you don't want to have to fight your friend who's just being a
1: jerk. All right, Will, do you have an answer?
0: Uh, I'm really racking my brain here. I don't usually build my D&D campaigns to have that big antagonist. Or if I do, then the game fails before we ever get there. Oof. Oof, Wait, so
1: so, what about in video games or just, just in general boss? Bosses?
0: Well, that's the other thing. Um, I have some philosophy and, like, observations about that. But as far as actually fighting bosses in games... Okay, okay, actually, I have one. And that is the big daddy from the Bioshock games.
1: Oh! And, be... la-
0: and later I, oh, the big sister from Bioshock. And here's why I like it. So as a person who loves open world games in general and letting players have a lot of the control over the pacing of when things happen the Big Daddies were this perfect idea for an open world boss, because you choose when to fight them. They won't attack you unless yeah. you threaten or attack them. Um, and so you get to lay your traps and and prepare for the area you're in, and then you go ham and, and murder them. And I wonder if I could do something like that in my in my upcoming games, where you have um, if you remember in World of Warcraft there was the Fel Reaver in the first expansion. It's this oh, gigantic, yeah, 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 like a ten story tall mech that walks around and occasionally kills you Um, but then you get to a high level and you group up with some people and you just go murder it and you have your revenge it's great Um, I like that idea
1: that's really interesting think of other
2: notable bosses Bowser
0: well Bowser is an idiot because he always stood on the same bridge with the same (laughs) switch behind him Welcome to Vox Arcana. I'm William. I'm Jake. I'm David. And this is a podcast about tabletop RPGs, game design, and advice for all game masters. This is episode twenty-nine: Boss Battles. Why should I have a boss battle, Jake? Okay,
1: tell me so, why. So I think right, let's be honest here. Let's put all let's put everything out on the table. Uh, have you guys? <laughs> Ever had a boss battle? Like like
0: a big large scale one? I've had set piece combats, but um Okay. Yeah, so it, I don't know if that's quite the same because it's not like a finale of anything, but it is a climax of a certain part of the adventure.
1: Yeah, that's I feel like it's on the same spectrum. Um I I think boss battles are um just ingrained into D&D of like what this game is and what kind of a game is in general, um cuz the more I think about it logically, about boss battles i think they're great in D. but thinking about it like i mean you know me i love my history and i'm trying to think about what a boss battle would be in real life and i'm really struggling
2: so i i think boss battles like really come from um fairy tales and mythology because you look at um the ancient like stories of like knights fighting dragons and going on quests for holy grails like I feel like that's where these big battles come from and they come from more of a storytelling mindset than they do, oh yeah, I'm going to fight this big person.
1: Oh, that's true. Yeah, so it's this is inherently mythical. Yes. Um it's not like it's ba- this is all based in story and myth and legend. Um, because really there's no situation, you know, like when we did our fighter class episode, it's like, okay, you can point to fighters in history very yep. easily, um, and you can do that for a lot of different things in D&D, but this is purely based in myth and legends and storytelling um, and yeah, overcoming impossible odds um, and I think that pretty obviously should have a place in, in D&D games, because it's, it's insane when you topple a, a creature or a villain or some enemy that that's bigger and stronger than you because yeah. of your teamwork. And yeah, I, I think boss battles have a very important place in D and I, I'm a huge fan.
0: I think that, and aside from just D I think in video games in general, there's a huge yeah. need for them. Um, as far as I can tell, boss battles are made to punctuate the end of something, usually a level or a section, um, but also to test the skills of the player in a way that they haven't been tested yet.
1: Huh. Um, so, yeah. like
0: Mario, for instance, all you're doing is you're like jumping on enemies for the the whole game you get into Bowser's castle, and suddenly you have to be very um, careful and like fast in the way you maneuver around the the fireballs. And that's that's an early early example of a boss. But if you're looking at more modern stuff, huh. you have sometimes very different game mechanics. Um, there's like patterns you have to learn, and um, it's just it, it's almost like a game within a game where you're you're solving these these really tough problems um, on your feet
1: so technically what counts as a boss battle
0: yeah i I guess we should we should define it uh who's a boss who is the boss (laughs) well so jake if you said that set piece encounters are kind of like boss battles will we say that anything that is very specifically engineered by the dm um, that also is sort of wrapping up maybe a big story arc or a big story moment is um a boss battle or as long it's as it weird that
1: combat i I would say so e- even weirdly, I'm more of the like oh, it's all about story and arcs and all this stuff but even um in my post-apocalyptic game, even if they're supposed to be the pinnacle of this area, you know that could be a boss battle you know maybe each area has its own boss um yeah, mm. I, I would say summing up either a location or a, a story arc, but it is kind of has this this element of finale. To it, um, and that could be anything. Yeah, I'm trying to think that could that could basically be anything as so, long as it's kind of wrapping up one portion of something. Mm-hmm. I like to think of a, the
2: the boss battle as the like you even just like looking at the term boss, it's someone like who's in charge of other people. So I like to think of it as like the the leader of like an ideology or something that you're fighting against. So mm-hmm. like you're fighting against the dragon cult. You're gonna like eventually you're going to fight like let's say tiamat and that's going to be the big pinnacle of the dragon cult or you're fighting a bunch of goblins and the goblin boss would might be like a hobgoblin who is like the one who's leading them the
1: goblin king
2: or the goblin king yeah (laughs) so you have you so it's just the the person who is like leading a group of people or like the champion of an idea that you're fighting against Mm-hmm. so you could even have um just a reoccurring character who continues to show up in the story like a dark paladin and eventually you um come across him and have to fight him oh, and that's that would really just
1: be... oh man that's so interesting because so essentially bosses are end notes they're crescendos yeah story punctuations yeah yeah they're they're the end of a narrative payoff they're the ends of a uh, location payoff. They're the end of a thematic payoff, but they're always kind of the, the period on the end of like an adventure or a segment of an adventure, which so is if, really interesting. Yeah. So if you think
2: about like a story as like a, a series of waves that get progressively taller and wider and their troughs and yeah. peaks. So you're going to start out and you're going to start out fighting small groups of like maybe like one or two enemies from this faction. And then like two or three and then maybe a a stronger version. Eventually it's going to get to a point where it goes to the very top. And it's just going to like it's the story will have amplified itself to like this great like moment. And that's when you want to have your boss battle. And that's like when you're going to be fighting the
1: boss. Okay. I have a question for you guys. What differentiates a boss from just a villain?
0: Hmm, I don't know if there is a difference. It depends on how you set up the story, I suppose. Because even if you have a big boss and a bunch of lieutenants, you could have each lieutenant be like a mini-boss fight, meaning it's uh-huh. less involved, but it still is a, an, an important punctuation to the story. So I yeah. think that they are most likely the same. So I think <sighs> they, can, they can be
2: interchangeable, but not always. Mm-hmm. So I think almost all bosses are villains, and almost all villains can be bosses but they're not always a boss and they're not always a villain
0: what an answer (laughs) like and and, like so i
2: I'll, i'll unpack it a little bit because you can have a reoccurring villain character in your story who you don't necessarily have to confront or who it just like it doesn't come up he's just more of a side character or a side villain Whereas the main Okay, like, is- like
0: Sauron is the big villain. Yes. But he never really interacts with the characters in Lord of the Rings. Yeah, he's not someone that you're confronting. Mm-hmm.
1: So I'm almost thinking it in the opposite way where... Mm. So honestly, I think of boss. I think of finale, end point, period at the end of the sentence. Like summing up the adventure. But when I think of villain, think of yourself as a villain... Um, and say someone's attacking your lair and you're like super high level you're beefed out like you're you're not gonna sit back and wait for them to come to your throne room right you're gonna address the problem and so i feel like villains you can encounter earlier in your story whereas bosses always have to be at the end also kind of kind of in the same vein villains can be villainous without combat whereas bosses i feel like You really can't have a non-combat boss encounter. I mean, you can, but, like, when you think of a boss, it's this big, strong thing at the end of a dungeon or at the end of a campaign arc. Like, that's what a boss is. They're combat-focused. They're combat-centric. They're not going to try to manipulate you or try to flee. I think that's the difference is, like, the focus on combat between a boss and a villain. That's an
2: interesting point because I don't – for me, that definition – which I don't necessarily agree with totally is a purely game mechanic. Then bosses are purely game mechanics, and they aren't. They have no like real like storytelling implication.
1: No, they, they, like you said, there is a Venn diagram where they overlap. Yeah. Like oftentimes, mm-hmm. the the Goblin King will have interacted with you non combatly before, but then he's also waiting in his throne room at the end. Um, but I don't know. There is I think of a villain. They're, they're but all like so. Like
2: you, you have to encounter him in its lair. Like that's that's like a
1: weird. Isn't that weird. what a boss is though? Doesn't a boss have a lair? Like a boss isn't roaming water deep. Like they aren't kind of this this big. I mean, it depends upon the character. Like, it does. It does. I don't know. I'm trying to think of the most. So I'm just thinking of like like
2: stories. So, like, let's take Marvel for example, and you look at the first Avengers, and the bo- the boss would be Loki. And he's just wandering mm-hmm. around New York, like, and they they go to like stop him to get the staff. Like, hmm. is isn't that a boss battle?
1: Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Yeah, it is interesting. I and he know, doesn't he doesn't
2: really have a lair. Boss. He's just kind of in Stark mm-hmm. Towers talking to Tony Stark. That
1: is interesting.
0: Well, I don't know. I think that the layers probably are more common though than the wandering boss. Because I'm thinking like, if you want to go kill Cersei Lannister, let's say. Mm-hmm. She is not really the boss you're fighting. You'll be fighting all the things leading to her, like her armies and her castle defenses. And like her lair basically would sure. be the, the encounter. Yeah. And I think Loki in that case might be the same where he has just a lot of things to go through to be able to get him because he's quote unquote easy to access.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that I, I really think also like going back to D&D 5th edition, I think they've done pretty well with the, like, the layer actions mm-hmm. um, and those sort of things that really um, make the environment feel a part of the villain or a part of the boss, um, which I think is really cool. Yeah, I really like that. So I guess we can move into um, what can we do to make boss fights more interesting?
0: There is a lot we can do to make them more interesting.
1: All mm-hmm. right,
0: let's hear them. And I want to start by looking at examples of bosses from other video games and other RPG products. So, so, the thing that comes to mind in making bosses more interesting, obviously for me, is
1: the environment. Um, I think that's a very easy thing you can tweak um, to make the boss more interesting. You know, so if you say, okay, you're fighting this huge flesh golem that's like, you know, this this big, meaty, fat, strong boss who's you know if you fight him in an open field like okay you'll get to see what he does but like fighting him in like an old abandoned crumbling mansion would be way better um Mm -hmm, the same thing if you're fighting a dragon in a forest like okay there's some stuff you can do with the trees and breaking stuff down but fighting that red dragon in a volcano like would just make it so much better yeah Um, So I think environment, um, I think that's something the DM can be creative with making NPCs and uh, making cities and all this stuff. But like environments, you can do anything, right? You can have so much cool stuff. You can have chandeliers hanging where you want them to. Uh, You can have uh, islands in a way that, you know, maybe the rogue can hop across them. Um, Just giving your players almost ammunition, like theoretical ammunition in the battlefield that they can use. To fight the monster but also that the boss can use to fight against them creatively so for me
2: to make a boss fight more interesting and when i, when I look at games and how they make boss fights interesting is that oftentimes you can't directly attack the boss to begin with like you have to yeah. weaken them you have to like chip away at their armor or do something in the environment to inhibit them um like destroying a shield generator that's protecting them or something along those lines because it forces you to not just like i swing my sword at the boss and then do that 10 times and the boss is dead but it forces you to think creatively and like think of like how do i get that necklace off its um off him so that we can actually damage him yes Mm -hmm. like that's way more interesting and it's way more fun and it and it presents interesting and new challenges that you have to deal with rather than just straight up like I, I'm just gonna shoot my bow at him a few times and hope he dies. Right. Yeah. I think it's
0: important to have these types of sub goals, or um, like David's saying, these gates you have to go through to get to the next part. I like the idea of peeling off armor and um, yeah. stealing the necklace because you want to. Um, it's called attack every part of your player's character sheet, and that is you don't just oh don't just let them use yeah. their combat to solve your boss fight like. Make them use all of these other skills that you can think of that are actually pertinent, Charisma like maybe saving throws. Like maybe the the fight starts with you tracking the boss uh, through the woods. There's a game mm-hmm. called Evolve where you're tracking this giant beast as it's like, oh
1: yeah 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 yeah. Yeah,
0: and you know, and so that way players are using your tracking and your survival and like maybe there's swarms of dangerous enemies in the woods Mm -hmm. um, attacking. And I think that's a lot more interesting than just this slog of, um, like, here's a bag of hit points, you're just going to have to kill it before it kills you. Because um, if if your players are anything like mine, very quickly they're going to try to just clamp down the battlefield Mm -hmm. and basically box in the boss and kill them.
1: yeah And that's not very exciting. Um, So I think this brings up kind of um, phases of a boss fight. Like, do you guys have, like, a boss... Where it's like, okay, it's like maybe this huge beetle beetle thing and you you break off its armor and then suddenly <coughs> its armor sheds off. And suddenly these tentacles come out of it. Um, do you have like certain phases? Have you ever utilized that in games of like, okay, you did this many hit points or maybe you cut off this thing. So now it moves into this phase.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, that's I think phases are super important. We see that in video games. Uh, the way I've used it in the past was... Um, the players were trying to close a portal and they were defending against waves. And then after a certain amount of time, uh, the portal began to close and then they had to get away. So the, oh. the goal shifted. So it wasn't even a combat goal after that. It was just like, you know, use your movement ideally and, and flee and survive. It was a lot more interesting because when there's waves of, of these low level enemies, um, first of all, it, it challenges their combat because, um, I'm seeing in, in my Tomb of Annihilation adventure, my characters are super optimized for a lot of single target damage. Um, uh-huh. but and then they have AoE like slowdown effects. But as far as I can tell, they don't have a lot of AoE damage effects. Uh. And so um, in my other campaign it was kinda of, it was similar and they they had nothing to do against these little minions. And so um, instead of just like I said, sitting and, and killing and slugging away at the the bag of hit points um it was a lot more interesting jake do you have yeah. an example of uh, phases um so the thing i'm thinking of <laughs> which is an onion article from
1: a long time ago and the title of the onion article is video game boss thinking he should probably get big glowing weak spot on his back checked out <laughs> <laughs> i just i don't know i think of phases and oftentimes in video games especially like maybe the armor will open up exposing almost the general grievous, like the heart, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know, <laughs> like, um, you know, it'll like expose weak spots on the kneecaps or stuff like that. Um, I think it's harder to do that in d d And also, I don't know if we should strive to because it is kind of a silly thing. Like, why would you have air vents open up? To reveal that. Or, like, why would you have an air vent uh, where, you know, you can uh, shoot a bomb into it and blow up the Death Star? But regardless, (laughs) like, it just Uh, seems like poor design. (laughs) Um, It just seems like poor design. Um, So... Yeah, I don't know. Three phases can be done, but I like the phases being something other than like a beetle's armor coming off or like opening up. Like, oh, you can poop and you can poop right into his heart now. You can poop right Um, into his heart. Jake (laughs) twenty for another episode. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I think a way to do it is more almost time specific things. Um, Mm -hmm. We've talked about this before in our encounters episode, but I think one of the most underrated. like encounter action verbs is survive. Mm. Um, And I really Mm. like when maybe the villain burrows underground or the, the villain hides behind something um, or bides its time somehow where you have to survive, maybe angry mobs of his minions um, or maybe like uh, maybe like the, the ice is melting and you're trying to get to him that way or chains are breaking or um, like there's, some sort of ritual that's being done. Um, I like it almost being timers um, for certain things to happen rather than like amounts of hit points before certain phases activate in a boss fight. Um, I think I like timers more because as a DM, I can control like when a chain breaks or when the ice melts um, or when the ritual is finished more than I can control how much damage they do. Mm. Um, Mm. so yeah, I think those sort of phases where different things happen are, are really good way to kind of transform the fight and make it more dynamic as opposed to just static slash, 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 slash dead.
0: Yes, I totally agree. Um, yeah, I think that the phases, whether you're totally altering the battlefield and maybe the volcano is erupting and the terrain is shifting or, uh, you fall through the floor and you have a couple rounds of combat in 3d free fall, right? Like you're skydiving now with a boss fight. Um, as long as it makes sense and it's also interesting, I think Mm -hmm. the hardest part of DMing for boss battles and designing boss battles is you're not really sure if it's going to be fun necessarily, right? Because you can't test Uh, it until you're you're playing it. So getting it right, um, as much as you can is important.
1: Yeah. And and I like doing, this may be specific for me for running multiple games with multiple people. Uh, and doing the same campaign over and over, it's like you can kind of test it. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you have a really successful encounter with a Beholder, you know, you can throw that Beholder in somewhere else with a different party um, and just, I don't know. I, I feel like as a DM, you kind of have a, a bag of tricks. Um, and once you get a good trick, um, utilize it. Like be like, okay, I know, I really know this thing works. Um, so utilize it. Don't wait. Um, because like Will and David know any session
0: could be your last <laughs> oh. rest in peace. <laughs> There's a mechanic that I see and maybe it's more video gamey. Um, we saw it in, in, Zelda breath of the wild a little bit where uh, you can go engage this boss more or less at any time. The far cry games do this as well. Um, and you're completing quests that are like weakening their powers. So we saw this in Harry Potter with oh, Horcruxes, right? Yeah, yeah. Like you can't defeat Voldemort until you have destroyed his last Horcrux. Um, but it's just cool because if the players are in control of it, um, instead of being, oh, get the eight pieces of the amulet, and then you can go into its castle. It's, it, it's more like, no, <laughs> yeah. like I have I have one of the four, and I feel like we're powerful enough and competent enough to now just go engage him because he's one oh, quarter yeah. weaker um, than he would be. That's good. It's, it's kind yeah. of an abstract yeah. co- explanation of that, but that's generally how it could work. No, yeah, I agree. I think kind of going along
1: with that, um, in the Fallout games... Um, uh, you have a kind of a reputation system where you get higher rep uh, with with, like higher reputation with different factions like the Brotherhood of Steel or the New California Republic or whatever. Um, And as you get higher, uh, if you like pass a threshold, like they like you enough, it makes the boss battle easier because Mm. they will come to your aid. I think this is a really good way to discourage players from being murder hobos because the more friends they make along the way will help them later on. Um, and I really like the idea of – I think some of the loudest cheers I've ever heard at my D&D table is when they're getting their butt kicked by the monster or by the boss or the villain or whatever. And, like, some random NPC shows up. it's <laughs> oh, <he's just> like <laughs> – you'll need some help boys and just like runs and they're like yes dunkirk <laughs> we missed you yes like, and then dunkirk immediately dies <laughs> and then they're just ah! <laughs> no, but, like that that heroism that like we're we're yeah we're down like we might not win this and then having that like um yeah like gondor calls for aid like you know the and it doesn't have to be like a deuce ex machina where it's just like okay you automatically win now But it could be enough to just be like, okay, we have a fighting chance now. Um, So I really like the whole idea of allies coming to aid you. And especially because that concept encourages people to make friends along the way instead of kind of just being these lone wolf murder hobos that that don't care about the world.
0: I like that because you could apply that to having just a couple individuals like, oh, I made friends with um, Gilmesh. And then he comes to my rescue because, you know, I saved his wife or something. Yeah, or yeah. if you want to scale it up and have an army and have it like Gandalf at the end of Helm's Deep riding over the hill. Yeah. Um, like an entire country comes to your aid. Uh, that is also really exciting. And as you're saying, it rewards good role playing.
1: Yeah. Um, I think uh, kind of another the opposite of this, um, the echo of this, the mirror of this is uh, enemies coming to help the boss. Uh, oh yeah. Because a lot of times you're like, oh crap, uh we're these they're killing my boss. <laughs> like they are they are putting a wall up. They're they're giving him some big doinks. Uh at that point, you could maybe have some enemies come in. Uh these could be obviously like little minions of the boss, just just generic enemies, maybe a horde of zombies, whatever. But also they can be people that the party pissed off in the mm. past. Um, and that adds role play to it and also punishes bad behavior from previously, right? Like, if you go into a town, don't give a crap about anyone, and somehow burn down the bartender's house, maybe that bartender
0: will be more willing to help the lich because he just is so mad at you guys. Um, oh, that's okay. I have a great idea. Uh, okay. Off of that. So imagine that there's a village and there's a quest to save it, you know, from the evil. And uh-huh. the players just don't care and they ignore it and they move on. And then you. You come into that battle, and every person from that village is like a zombie or you know a, a slave oh. that is now fighting against you. This is yeah. where the players feel the repercussions of their decisions.
1: Yes, I think that is so important for a and world for it to feel alive. Um, is for you to have an impact. Like your decisions change the world. Um, and this has been something that has been a little hard for me because I am now uh, I've I've gone through a whole campaign. And now I'm going through the whole campaign again, um, but the world is starting to split off like branches in a tree, and I'm tr- it's I really have to start taking notes, which you guys know I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm very opposed to that. Um, I'm just not a good note taker, um, but I, I'm really starting to have to take I'm starting to have to take notes because uh, oftentimes I'll be like, okay, you guys, yeah, last session you fought the beholder, um, oh yeah, and the ranger like shot him in the eye and killed him, and they're like, what? there was no ranger we don't have a ranger in our party oh no and i'm like oh shoot oh that was the previous campaign oh sorry uh how'd you guys kill the beholder <laughs> so it's like um kind of those mixing together but i think that's it's it's a good thing and a bad thing it, it's it's a bad thing because i have to keep track of the timelines better but it's a good thing because it shows that there are ramifications that that are happening on the world like the players are making a direct impact to the point of some npc is a, a hero that's helping the party in one campaign the other campaign he's he hates the party because what they did and so i really really like that i'm seeing the effects of the players in the world um two times over and to see where they are different where they diverge and how the different decisions affect the timeline—it's just—it's so fascinating. Sounds like your multiverse is collapsing. <laughs> it might
0: soon. <laughs> that's really cool. Getting to see all the possibilities.
1: Yeah, because that's that's one of my favorite things—is playing through something um, that's that's kind of like it, the, even the Lost Minds of Phil dalver or whatever it's it's pronounced. Um, how's it pronounced? Fandelver. <laughs> Fan- okay, yeah, it's Let's, not a good word. <laughs> but. um I love the idea of of kind of a bunch of parties doing that and then them talking about it It's like oh wait you did that with the spider queen or wait hold on you you didn't rescue this miner or whatever like I really like that um, the same thing happening again and seeing how they affect the world because if your world can't be affected like I feel like you, you need to improve as a DM you need to allow the world to be changed and you you shouldn't just be a fantasy writer <laughs> who who has players that should stay on the rails my
2: sacred text (laughs) (laughs) oh
0: i feel like so jake you've mentioned this before where you don't want to have my precious campaign syndrome where you just don't want them to change anything but you also want them to have some degree of control however you have stated in the past that you don't want them to fail at killing the boss you'll do almost whatever it takes to make sure that there's a happy ending
1: Well, not a happy ending, but not that the world is altered so that they can't do the next campaign. So, a happy ending. (laughs) Well, I I say a satisfying ending. I feel like you're acting like I'm weird for winning a happy ending. Like, I feel like that's just human nature for every human.
0: No, no, no. Who gets. Because I agree. Like, everybody wants a happy ending. I'm just saying it seems like a contradiction. Like, I don't know where the line is between. So, yeah.
1: One thing that I think uh, I need to defend myself by is. a lot of people are like, yeah, sometimes death happens in D&D. But at the same time, death is kind of cheap in D&D because resurrection exists. Right. In my world, there is no resurrection. So, like, a total party kill is exactly that. They are gone forever. You can't make a party of of combat clerics to go in and, and resurrect each of them and then restart. Um, like, it, it. I think since the stakes are higher, I want to avoid death more. If that makes sense, because if the stakes are lower, like you can be resurrected, you're more likely to ch- jump into the mouth of the Beholder to try to stab him from the inside hmm. using the logic of Drax. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I feel like we've been over this. Like I, I like combat as cinema um, and I want you to affect the world. But in the end, like if you're going to complete the quest, I mean, I feel like that's just human nature. You want You want to c- complete it. Um, and if they fail bad enough, I might let them die. I just I haven't seen that yet. Like, if they just... Because sometimes, like, I've killed a character because they're they're freaking asking for it. Like, they're just being dumb. And it's like, okay, buddy, if you want this character to die, he can die. <laughs> oh. um, but most of the time, if, if players want to succeed and they've been correctly... Not correctly playing, but playing, David would know. Kind of min-maxing a little oh, bit. On. Like, making... Uh, yeah, they're trying to optimize their characters it's pretty hard to have an encounter or p- to present an encounter narratively where they have a bad chance, you know. It, it's, it's really complicated because I have a lot of ideas on what fun is and as long as I communicate with my players, I hope
0: we're on the same page, you know? Yeah, that's good. I'm still not sure my question has been answered, but it sounds like it's, it's okay, a little say, too complicated. Say it again. I might have... Okay, so you want players to have enough freedom to affect the world, uh-huh. which is great. But you also don't want them to fail to a degree that the world is changed enough to be like unrecognizable or like you know okay. uh, warp your next campaign. So I'm I'm wondering how do you control that degree of their initiative and their control?
1: So um I think I want them to be able to affect the world in the way they want. I, I always am very careful to be like, here's the stakes, right? If you avoid This this village there could like this village quest there could be ramifications in the future. Like they 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 have a very good risk reward kind of utilitarian. uh, Do you pull the lever on the trolley problem? Like they have some things where they they know the stakes um, at least in a vague way. Um, But I don't think anyone goes into a boss fight wanting to change the world for the worse. Of course, you know. Yeah. So so that's my whole point. I will let. Them, I want them to change the world how they see fit, but never has my players, you know, killed themselves on the altar of of Tiamat to because they wanted to. And if they did, I would let them change the world. But I guess the whole thing is, I want them to change the world how they want to, rather than punish them for every single decision and non-optimization. If that makes sense.
0: Hmm. Okay. I think I got it now. It's interesting. Yeah, <laughs> You're lame. <laughs> All right. Um, so I want to talk a bit about the action economy. This is something that is not really talked about in the player's handbook or any of the core books. Um, but it's so important to the balance of a good encounter. So if you have four or five players, player characters, and you have one big enemy to fight, the the turn order goes that the uh, the allies <laughs> the players will have 5 <laughs> actions for every one of the enemies in general right because there's more actions and uh, here and there and bonus actions and whatnot so in general to balance the counter all you have to do is make sure that the number of actions that your boss has is equal or greater than the uh, the number of the players the the solution is just give more actions and and the way i would suggest this is Making sure there's other enemies in a combat. Um, I've seen too many times, like uh, one time David and I tested a um, sort of a mod we were making. It was like weapon enchantment system. And um, I, he made a party of, I think, three or four characters that were like level five, level three or five. And I had a, I think it was a CR-23 black dragon or something. And he was able to lock it down and kill it in like three rounds. Because because the, there was no environmental uh, interactions and there was no minions or other enemies to attack.
1: Layer actions.
0: Right, and then layer actions. And he just out-actioned me. Mm-hmm. And that can happen very e- easily. So I have some ideas of how to complement your bosses with a, um, a type of minion that is complementary to their skill set. And maybe you yeah. guys can come up with a few more. Um, so uh, my, the first one is liches. Liches are powerful spellcasters, very scary, great spells, um, but they're still limited by how many actions they have on a turn. So I would throw in Iron Golems uh, because they are yes. beefy and thick and they resist magic. They and cannot
1: be negotiated with.
0: Beefy and thick. Yeah, you can't mind control it. Just like it. me. Uh, David is an Iron Golem. Um, Confirmed. <laughs> what are your thoughts on this?
1: I, I think it's great. I think, um, especially the complementing part. Um, it's it's very important if you know to not have all minions that are kind of the same. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to have minions that like okay, th- this, this combats certain things they can do. Um, I think you should have yeah like a lich compared to an iron golem. They're almost polar opposites, uh, but they fit so good as a unit to fight.
2: Yeah, you want to add that enemy that just like that just makes the fight not straightforward. Yes. normally it's like, oh, we're going to, you know, block his spells and then you know, stab him in the back and he's dead. It's like, well, but you got a bunch of iron golems that are just running you down. Like, what do you do now?
1: <laughs> yes. Uh, and that's, uh, I, I'm imagining like a tactician, like some sort of battle master fighter who's like, all right, that lich is over there. We need to do this, 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 and then we'll destroy him like that. And everyone's like, aye, aye, sir. And they go into combat and then suddenly these iron golems come out. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> oh, all right, change of plans. <laughs> because it it alters it and i really like um not yeah what'd you say david not making or fighting against making it not straightforward yeah so that
2: they have to like do things interesting ways because
0: sometimes you will get into uh situations creatively as a gm where you're like okay it makes sense they're going to go down into this tomb and i'm going to throw like literally 300 undead (laughs) and like because it makes sense and then a cleric goes down And he can destroy undead. And he destroys 300 zombies in one round. And you're like, oh, I messed up. Because you need to have this trail mix and this um, complementing weaknesses thing uh, to make sure that you don't get totally stomped.
2: But what you could do is you could have a beholder with those three hundred zombies that has its null magic zone that mm-hmm. prevents the cleric from doing that.
1: Yeah. Oh, that. Yeah, that'd be that'd be great. He's like, don't worry. So guys, it's like you have to deal with the beholder undead. first
2: before
0: you can kill the undead.
2: <laughs> I can handle this. Then, oh god,
1: I can't do magic anymore. <laughs> run, run.
0: Or maybe I would have pylons that just um, automatically counterspell you. Like Ooh. any spell that comes out, they will counterspell until you destroy that's the pylons. So cool. um,
1: oh, yeah. It's adding more elements. Um, oh, that's great.
0: Right. Because now great. you have these stages you have to get through instead of like, oh, I I know the solution. Right. This is um, Portal. Right. If you oh ever played God. Portal or any puzzle game, yeah. you identify what you have to do to win. And then you kind of step backwards in time to see, you know, to work through it. And um, if you only have one step to your encounter, your player, I mean, don't be surprised when your players just overcome it in one step. Yeah. yeah um so yeah we talked about liches and iron golems really just throw iron golems into any <laughs> encounter with um with soft casters and you're gonna be okay or just any burly uh monster like for instance if you're gonna have a bunch of goblins who in general even after like level two or three you can probably one shot them um yeah if you're i mean if you're hitting um, so i would mix in some like do an ettin or an ogre or a troll yeah. right like it's a totally different encounter now. Um, and. I guess we're more talking about encounter building as opposed to bosses. I think but, um, it's the same thing, though. It is. Right? A-, a, is a boss is a specialized account. encounter. Yeah. Um, so I there's a podcast I listen to. Um, I mentioned this before. It's the Runehammer or the Drunkens and Dragons podcast. And he had just a really simple philosophy for designing encounters. Um, he, he hits the the trifecta of monsters. And it starts off with a weak, um, he calls it a cannon fodder monster. And this is something you know how to defeat and then you combine that with a an enemy that sits in the back row and buffs your weak horde monster. Oh. And so like already you see that the combat got a lot more interesting. And then at the, uh, the third step is you have some massively powerful um, monster that's got a lot of health and damage resistance that also buffs the other two. So all of a sudden, and, and you introduce them in, in stages, so you're not fighting all three at once at first, but your players oh. know how to defeat this, and they know how to defeat that, and then you combine them. And you keep doing that. Yeah. I really love it's almost like have you this is a common boss battle
1: mechanic in video games, but where um the like three characters are linked and share the same health pool. hmm uh, so like they're they're kind of all buffing each other and you can't really um Target one of them. That's kind of the opposite of the situation because you want to target each one to eliminate the buff on the other. Yes. Um, But I really like that how it like they all support each other and they work as like a well-oiled machine. Exactly. And and you have to like shove stuff into the cogs of the machine (laughs) in order
0: to slow it down to the point of defeating it. Yeah. And so um, because this is a pretty pretty big um, conceptual idea, like if you have a weak horde and, and a buffer, maybe that buffer is a literal machine right like your the environment is something oh, that's yeah. providing this and you're having to figure out a way to thwart this this yes. gives you a chance to attack the character sheet again right like now we need a trap disarmor we need um a person who can like fly over and and identify what we need to go to um it's it's pretty simple to apply this to um just any situation and your your combats will be better
1: yeah no because i've noticed this recently um i just finished a campaign and we're going to start the water deep and then dungeons of the dragon Dungeon of the Mad Mage um, later this fall, but um, in the meantime, each of the players at my table is GMing their own game, Um, and we've had some awesome stuff so far. It's it's been great, Um, and it's really put me in the shoes of a player again, um, and allowed me to do something that you don't, the muscle you don't flex as much as a dungeon master is like problem solving because you Mm -hmm. kind of control everything. But I love sitting there, like, looking at my character sheets, like, okay, okay, well, oh, man, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? Um, should we do this or this? And, like, that – that oh, there's that intensity of, like, looking at your friends and being, like, I don't know what to do. What should we do? Like, how can we – we have to do something. Like, I love that whole problem-solving thing, and I, I've missed that um, hmm. being a DM. Uh, but, yeah, adding elements of that because um, a fight isn't as fun where it's like, okay, yeah, obviously we just need to, to, to smash this guy until he's gone. It's like, okay. Um, I (laughs) think what you said earlier was best. You said if there's one step to your encounter, add more steps Um, or just more aspects. Um, But is there a number that's too much? Like is there so much information that can cloud a fight – where it's like, okay, I'm I'm just so confused. There's anti magic pylons and a horde of zombies and four buffers and two big
0: guys and two wizards on top. But also three there's three thick a boys cloud around the whole thing. <laughs> it's like, um. So actually, I have I have two thoughts on this. So okay. my my knee jerk reaction is three because humans are best at remembering numbers of three or less. However, there's also the school of Nintendo game design, and what if uh. you, so. There's a game called Mario Maker on the Wii U that is magic at how it teaches you how to design a level. But um, all it is is that you introduce concepts one by one and you make sure the players fully understand the concept before teaching them something else. Oh, yes. So let's say they're moving through a dungeon and they're being introduced to like, okay, well, here's a monster that explodes when you kill it. And then the next room, is like, well, here is, um, I don't know, wasps that are immune to explosions, right? And then you, in the third room, you mix those two. And you keep doing that and building and building. So theoretically, by the time you get to oh. room number 20 and you have 20 different elements... They get all of them. They get them because they've oh. seen them and they know how they work.
1: That's, that's a good point. I think incrementally introducing... Um, different elements instead of just being like, okay, you guys enter the Coliseum and listing off a thousand. <laughs> and, different and here's 20 <laughs> different things you have to remember. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it's would, good because it, they would slowly get to
0: that knowledge. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. That's and great. It, it rewards the, uh, the player skill in addition to the, yeah, uh, the skill yeah, of the character. Great. All right. Um, so I want to make some comments on just possibilities. This is more, I would say gamification. It's less of the role play and more of the, the game. Yeah. to play in yeah. the game david you want to walk through these
2: yeah so some of the possibilities um, that we've come up with are pretty interesting so the first one would be uh one moderate damage attack so it'd be enough to like start chipping away at a pc's health pool but not necessarily fully kill them so it's mm-hmm. going to be a move that you know, it's going to they're they're probably going to do a return it's that's their bread gonna, and butter yeah it's the bread yeah. and butter it's the i i stab you when you stab me And then you have the, the, um, oh crap move,
1: which is, I can't believe you've done
2: this damage attack. So it's enough to almost kill a playable character or at least scare them. It's the,
1: uh, the, the,
2: the, yeah, it's the big hit. It chunks them.
1: This is like dragon breath, right?
0: Yeah.
2: Or like, like a lich is like necrotic touch. So he like grabs one of the players and like they lose like almost all their life.
0: There is a boss in World of Warcraft called Onyxia and she has this big breath attack and it brings everybody in the room to like 10% health. And it like the first time you see that people panic, which is funny to have people panic about something happening in a virtual world. Um, (laughs) But it's important to have like that. Oh, crap. Like, things just got real because if you're there's a lot of healing you can get in D&D with spells. And I find that um, health doesn't really matter until you don't have it in d It's binary. Yeah.
2: It's like you have health or
0: you don't have it. <laughs> right. But then knocking one or multiple players down that low is going to uh, light a fire under them. Maybe yes. by actually lighting a fire under them.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's one possibility. That's no, one I, potential. I really like this. I really like... Um, I don't know. I kind of judge the success of a combat at the end based on how everyone's health is doing mm-hmm. uh, like i feel like if someone is at full health at the end of a combat it's like ah, that combat could have been better yeah um and, and but the same way like if you know three of the <laughs> three of them are down and one survives and it wasn't supposed to be a deadly encounter it's like okay that combat could have been better
0: too <laughs> <laughs> it's just um, it, it, you know a good combat is like sports or any movie or um basically entertainment we want a close game and yeah if you watch um let's say football, and one team completely shuts out the other, it doesn't matter what team game. you're rooting for. Yeah. You're bored. Uh, I, I, I love know. those
1: Seahawks in the Super Bowl against <laughs> <Yeah>. the Broncos. <laughs> so, yeah. oh. no, and that's the weird thing because it's like a power fantasy thing. Like I screamed and enjoyed every second of that because it was just a blowout, my favorite team. And I guess if your players, I think you should talk to your players, and if they are all power gamers and just want this power fantasy, yeah, if, if they're all at full health, I don't know, maybe they might like that. Yeah, that's that's
0: a good point. You just talk to your players cuz some of them might only want to succeed 100%, right? Like they want that three-star victory um every time. <laughs> oh, maybe you should okay. just hand out stars after you so, to your players. So
1: <laughs> this brings me to uh I in in my weekend game, uh I they're in waterdeep and they're in the yawning portal. Uh, Bar, um, where they can go down um, and choose various options. I basically had it as like you go down this big pit and there are literal like portals or not portals, but like doors into different dungeons. Um, And they went down there and I was like, okay, you can go do easy, medium or hard. And just this big half-orc, actually he's a (laughs) full-orc, Forge Cleric is like, we'll do the hard one. (laughs) And, like, the rest of the party's like, w- w- what? <laughs> wait, 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 what? Um, and they went in, and it was hard. I was like, this is going to be really deadly. So there were some, some like, a little bit harder puzzles. Um, but then towards the end, like, it was combat. Like, they, they fought an illithid, oh my and they barely survived. And they're like, oh, my God, that was a hard dungeon. Um, and they're like, okay, should we, you know, pack up and head out? Um, and someone looks like, there's another door. And they're like, the dungeon isn't over yet. <laughs> So then they went and fought an undead beholder on top of that and barely survived. And it was really good. And at the end of that, I was like, I did my job because that was supposed to be deadly because the orc was like, we'll do the hard one. (laughs) (laughs) So I think it's talking to your players about what they want, but also kind of acknowledging to yourself, do I want this encounter to be deadly or a little bit challenging or just cake Mm. Um, and figure out how to adjust accordingly there. Oh, right. we're talking about boss abilities. So but, getting back uh, to boss the <laughs>
2: abilities, uh, the next type of boss ability that
1: uh, bosses generally
2: have is it would be the, I thought you were being clever attack. So this is usually either an AoE effect or it would be a burst or a some kind of repositioning so that, that they're no longer like next to the melee attackers.
0: I think this would be for when your players... Finally, succeed in boxing in the boss. Oh, yeah. Uh, they yeah. have him trapped in, in some ground effects, some difficult terrain, or maybe in like a force cage. And uh, the boss pulls out something that's uh, surprising and new. And yeah. uh, the players are like, oh, well, that sucks. <laughs> no, no, no. So, yeah. We'll, we'll talk about telegraphing attacks in yeah. a second.
1: Yeah. I, I Isn't this one. Uh, I'm imagining like even like a time stop or a teleport, mm. um, something that. They're like, wait, what? what? He can do that?
0: Or even like destroying your armor. Like he destroys the armor in one person. Oh, like heat metal or something? Yeah. Oh yeah. my That's gosh. good. And it's something that they didn't know that they could do. Though yeah. I would mention, um, so we talked about, I, I'll talk about telegraphing right now. Um, in the uh, the three, the trifecta boss, or the trifecta encounter design, and um, and building up skills remember like you go through each room and you learn the new thing maybe the boss has some of these abilities that you've learned from other lesser creatures but he has the bigger version of it oh okay so if we have um an enemy that explodes when you kill it maybe the boss has like pustules on their body and whenever you roll a certain number on the dice like they're going to explode this way the players are kind of aware of how this could work and they'll be able to plan accordingly
1: oh yeah i I like that because because it feels unfair <clears> if you kind of pull this out, um, you know, and it's just like, ah, gotcha. You thought you were doing good. <laughs> it's kind of like, OK, DM, you can alter the world to your will. We mm-hmm. get it. But it, you, you want to make it fair. And I, I think telegraphing like some mega attack is a good way to do that and be like, I warned you or like you had a chance to get out of the way. which um, yeah. is really important. <clears throat>
0: Because nobody wants to be randomly killed for something they had no like power. work killed, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Um, so another one of these, like, uh, oh, you thought you were being clever. Another one of these that, uh, that I'm thinking of is so for a dragon. I'm kind of thinking of all of these in the form of a dragon. So like the moderate attack is obviously like a tail whip or a slash with the claws or, or a, a bite. Chomp. Uh, chonk yeah
2: chonk. Um, I, <laughs> chonk. I said chomp but no i chonk. prefer chonk um, i prefer and chonk,
1: then, <laughs> chonk. Um, and then there's like the, the big powerful attack which is like the the breath damage there's like whoo, you know fire breath um and then there's the, the the kind of special thing that you pull out maybe the dragon has some sort of psionic abilities. Um, and like you said, Will, attacking the whole character sheet. So mm-hmm. this shouldn't be just them doing decks and athletic saves just to get out of the way of fire, try to get on the back. No, like there should be, you should imply maybe some wisdom or maybe maybe there's like a mind flayer riding the dragon. Holy crap, that'd be horrifying. <laughs> oh,
0: that would be really good. okay. Okay, um, what about this? Like you're fighting a wizard and he has a phase where he puts everyone into illusory terrain. And so all of a sudden they're completely separated and they have to find their way through um, Mm. what is essentially like a nightmare fey world um, to get back to the battle.
1: Yeah, that's so great. And yeah, so at that point, maybe you, you throw them in the jungles of this weird glowing fey wild. And suddenly you have a character that's like a noble wizard that suddenly has to roll survival. And has to roll, uh, like, some sort of navigation uh, perception. Stuff that he never uses. But suddenly he has to use that in order to get back to the battle. So I really love the attacking all of the character sheet. Mm-hmm. And I think a really good way to do that um, is to have some sort of psionic ability. Or fear ability. Yeah, fear's um, good. To attack their wisdom or intellect. Um, yeah.
2: So that kind of ties into the next boss ability. Which is the one weird effect as... Uh, we've dubbed it. So it's either it can be either a passive or an active thing that the boss does, and it would be something unexpected, and it helps to control the fight or combat the the playable characters' um, stunts that they can pull, as well as. Being able to attack, bosses can reposition. Um, they can circle, move back, flank, you know, isolate. Mobility. They can do all sorts of things. And a, yeah. a boss shouldn't remain stationary, just sitting yeah. there, ah, I'm casting spells at you, and just let the PCs Come and up. get me, boys! Yeah. I think Will has some examples of weird effects.
0: Well, so, as apparently we're imagining a boss fight with a dragon in a big cave, really just Onyxia. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think something weird... Um, would be you're busting out a spell or as we said, a fear effect. There's a lot of statuses you could do. Maybe it's a paralyze or a, um, what's it, like turn to stone ability. Mm. Or maybe this is the chance where the boss does a spell and a bunch of stone golems rip out of the walls and go for the players. Like the battlefield changes or lava flows in, whatever it is. Yeah, that's what Um, I was thinking. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Because like altering the environment um, when you didn't know they could. Like this could be a layer action, that sort of thing. It's so great oh i'm excited to fight on xia <laughs>
2: uh so one of the one of the interesting moves that i like to do that i like to have included in my bosses is to have some way of taking away a player oh. out of the encounter so like let's say you have a player that always like you have your, your barbarian and he always runs up and starts attacking like what happens if the barbarian gets charmed and oh, starts yeah. attacking the party that's so great good. i or love like
1: turning players
2: what happens if like as the barbarian like runs up to attack like the the lich opens up a dimension to or a portal to another dimension and like the player just gets sucked in <laughs> and he's just out Jeez, and he's like having to like yeah. find his way so he's having to do a a Problem that he is not good at in terms of like yes, navigating like his way back check or some, something
1: yeah. Like, yeah or
2: maybe he gets trapped in like like a soul gem so like the players mm. have to like now free the player before and get him back so that they he can continue fighting the boss
0: you can even have a dragon to swallow the guy yeah
2: and it's like oh, man. what and it, and it just changes the way that you are forced to fight for that one player and it can, it can add some fun dimensionality to it.
1: It's so, that's those are the best that make you make decisions that you were not expecting to make. Yeah. Like, you know, if you're a barbarian, it's like, okay, I'm going to hit him here or here. <laughs> I'm just going to swing you know? and just, <laughs> yeah. like, hope for the best. But um, it's like, now
2: you're trying to solve puzzles by yourself yeah. as, like, the so, lowest yeah. intellect like, person. And it's just yeah, like, ugh. <laughs>
1: and, like, for me, uh, in one of the games I just played uh, with, with one of my players, the DM, uh, I he, I said, challenge me. So he made me twin goblins. And I played two characters that always bickered with each other. <laughs> and uh, one thing that happened was um, one, of my, the, one of the twins went down. Um, and so I took a sigh of relief because I was only role-playing one character. But I was like, holy crap, d- Like this person, do I attack them with everything I have, unleash everything, but possibly let my brother die or protect my brother... And then me possibly dying. Like it just all those decisions, adding more of those to a boss fight is so great. But Like you said, of sucking someone into a portal or into a soul gem, like you can help them at the cost of your turn. Mm. And it's like, do you value saving them, but then possibly having a party wipe or just blast, just keep blasting the dragon. And then if he's dead, he's dead. If he's just out, we can res him or, you know, we can revive him. Oh, it's, it's uh, more decisions, the better. Yeah. Dilemmas are the best. Yes, I think a really important uh, thing that we've, we've talked about is the environment, um, but specifically the geography, the layout of the environment. Um, you want to have. Let me just talk about one of the best that I've seen. Um, I'm sure David, uh, or not David, Will, you've you've read the Two of Annihilation book because you're of running course, it. Of course. Have you seen the final? Uh, the final uh, room in the Tomb of Annihilation, where you fight. I Asteroid. have not actually. Okay, so let me explain it to you. This is one of the best game design things I've seen um, from running it. Like at first, I saw it, and I was like, "What? Why is why is it like this?" But then I realized, like at, in playing it, oh my god, this is genius. So the room itself is shaped like a triangle, and I saw that and I was like, "Okay, th- why why wouldn't it be just a big circle or a big dome or you know a square? Like why why a triangle?" Um, But then I realized when you're fighting Asrak, who's flying around and doing all this stuff, you can choose, if you're trying to run away from him, you can choose to get to the farthest point away, which is an edge of the triangle, like a corner. But then you're having the chance that he can corner you very easily. Hmm. Or you can run just to a wall, but then you're still close enough that some area of effects can hit you. And so it's that dilemma of like, do I run in the corner and possibly be pinned in the corner or do i just run against the wall and possibly be hit by some of his aoe's because i'm too close to him
0: and it's like oh it's
1: such a good design of just the the physical geography of the room like the layout like add stuff to the battle um other things about the final uh room is it's a big triangle but in the center is like a pool of lava um that's like in a deep pit Um, So people fall in there. Like, Acerak can kind of just hold person and then just, like, toss them in there.
0: Oh, jeez.
1: Luckily, they had a little dragon that was helping them out. That was kind of bailing people out of the lava after they got singed. Um, Which is not how lava works, uh, but (laughs) it's how it works in the game. Um, And then at the same time, there's three big chains that are (coughs) suspending uh, kind of the MacGuffin above the pool of lava. Um, So there's so many options because you can try to get to the, the MacGuffin by cutting the chains. Uh you can just go for Asarak, you can try to hide in the corners, you can uh you still have to avoid the pit of lava. There's so many decisions and you you can the players can be incredibly creative um because of just the design of the room. Um so I think it's incredibly important to to have that design uh, because it it can be amazing.
0: Dang, I like that. And I'm looking at the map right now and uh... Isn't it cool? Yeah, I never seen anything, anything quite like it. Yeah. Uh, there's one thing we haven't talked about for planning your encounters, and that is wearing out your players before they even get to the boss.
2: Yeah, I like this because it it takes it, as instead of changing the way like the players can interact with the boss, it takes away the resources they have to interact with fighting a boss. So, yeah. I like um like if you think about um. Marvel's Infinity War, and as Tony is fighting Thanos, like his suit, like his nanites are running out, mm-hmm. and he's just like having less and less that he is able to do because he, yeah. his resources are running low because he keeps running out of them. Mm-hmm. So, I, I like to have that that concept in my uh, boss battles and dungeons because slowly as you progress through, you're running out of spells that you can cast. You're running out of like equipment. And magic items that you are, that you have, like these one-time use potions that you use. And it's like, well, now you don't have that resource anymore. And it's like, what are you going to do when you actually fight the boss? And it, yeah. it kind of limits the players and what they can do so that it helps you design a better boss encounter as well. Because you know, you're going to know kind of the
1: amount of resources they're going to have by the time they get to the boss. So I think I would be remiss if I didn't uh, ask, how do we do this without it feeling cheap? without it feeling like a hit point tax. Uh, because it's very easy um, to just, like, have pressure plates that go, boop, ah, there's 10 HP gone. <laughs> this will make my boss fight a bit easier. <laughs> uh, you know, like, like how do we avoid the kind of, like, traps or, you know, just, okay, there's another wave of goblins. Oh, there's another wave of goblins. Oh, you got hit with the light crossbow. <laughs> That's You know, how do we make it not feel cheap? Like, not a hit point tax.
2: You make them make decisions that make poor decisions so it's like you see treasure in a room like as you're passing by but there's also like four goblins in there okay good so it's it's
1: you're still putting it on them yeah isn't something that almost always
2: they're going to attack those goblins
1: that's great because it so avoid making the making you as the dungeon master doing it to them yeah Present the options and then Mm. force them to make a suboptimal choice. Yeah. So either they don't get treasure
2: or they, you know, they progress through
1: and they have less HP because they fought. So, So. yeah, make it a choice, not a a forced
0: infliction. Well, I mean, I was thinking you just have a big set piece encounter that's like a deadly level encounter and the boss is not even in the room. And they, they, you know, I think Skyrim did this where you kill a bunch of stuff and then the, um, the crypt opens and outsteps the, the lich at the oh, very yeah. end. So you're like, I, I don't even have arrows. I my mana is low. I'm out of all my health <laughs> potions. Like, great. But I so really want to start mask. eating
1: cheese wheels.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I just ate 20 pounds of cheese in one second. <laughs> you're just shoving it in. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you just, like, turned into a big round cheese oh, bomb. Man. There's a gif of... Uh, Tom and Jerry, the mouse. Yeah. I don't know which one he is. And he eats a triangle of cheese. And yeah, it just and he becomes turns it a triangle. triangle. <laughs> <laughs> you just like... <laughs> That's one of my favorite gifts of all time. Let's talk about um, boss battles in the context of combat as war sport and cinema. I have some thoughts. Okay, I'd love to hear them because I feel like this changes bosses immensely, right? Okay, so if you are running combat as war and you are not trying to balance your game, I mean, first of all, there's all these implications. Um, You can listen to that more on the OSR podcast. I address some of this, I think. But um, this is how I summed it up. If you're fighting a boss or really having any encounter, if failure was never an option, then success is meaningless. And what this means is that if you are trying to give your players an experience, but you, like, let's say they're walking over a a bridge, it's over a huge chasm, but you know there's really no way they're going to fall. You're not going to let them fall. Then they really can't fail, and if they figure out that they can't fail, then success is meaningless. What do you uh, think of this,
1: Jake? I mean, that, that's that's pure combat as war, and I think there's a place for that. But I think the key to what you said is if they find out, mm-hmm. um, and obviously my players listen to this podcast, so I think they found out. Um, but <laughs> like jig's up, it's it's the way you play that you don't it it. The game shouldn't feel like it's coddling you, um, yeah. like. There should be repercussions for your actions, both in combat and out of combat. I'm very excited to run the urban, like, Waterdeep Dragon Heist because I want them to feel ramifications, not just from combat, but who they ally themselves with. Um, Decisions they made, social encounters need to have ramifications, too, that can affect them poorly. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think war is letting those ramifications go to their logical conclusion. Uh, verisimilitude
0: mm-hmm.
1: um and that is scary right because if they piss off like one of the lords of Waterdeep, they're they're gonna die <laughs> like, <laughs> they're they're in bad shape so yeah it's like where do you draw the
0: line and where like would the players know that you're drawing the line there and saving I, them i think that for my own personal gaming style um I've said before that uh, philosophically I totally agree with combat as war, but practically uh, I really don't do that because it's almost like um, there are places in the game where I'm harder or softer in those areas because I don't want them to fail, but I want them to feel like they always can. And so um, not letting them find out sort of where where it is softer or harder.
1: Yeah.
2: All right.
0: So for
2: combat as sport, if it is unfair, it is unfun. So when you're playing a game, if you feel like you're fighting a boss who's cheating all the time, you're going to get mad.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, this this makes sense. Um, and this also speaks to consistency yeah. of like, Will's talked about this a lot, of like, if a monster makes these kind of decisions, they should always make those kind of decisions mm-hmm. so the players can get a good feel of the world. But if they suddenly make a decision where it's like, what the, what? Like, that's obviously the DM metagaming or like, why is this sniper trying to shoot the... Uh, the the, the invisible spellcaster, or the yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. It's like, why would yeah. he even aim there? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. It, it unfair is unfair. I like combat as sport. I think I, I agree with this. What do you think, Will?
0: Um, yeah, um, the, the reason I wrote this was um, because if you're pursuing a real combat as sport game, this is more like a 4e or a 3.5 or a Pathfinder. Really, like it, it's more like you're designing a video game, and you want to have this really tight um, feeling of challenge that is achievable. Right, it's yeah. tough, but it's fair, and um, this is where I mentioned before that the um, it's hard to balance boss encounters without testing them. And so, Jake, you're in a unique position where you actually do get to test two or three times, like total, for each adventure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think for most GMs, it's just one. Like, you got one chance. It's the luck of the draw. Yeah, and sometimes a boss that seems perfectly designed gets one shot, or essentially, it's stomped on, or uh, it's they close roll a to bunch a bunch of nat twenties, or it's a total party kill. Yeah. That's why
2: I don't like sport. Just because it's like you have these defined rules and if you are constantly focusing on like the rules and playing by the rules that you've designed your world by like in terms of like a boss with these stats and these abilities either it can come over as super like like the boss can just totally kill the party and there's no way of changing that because you've already determined their stats or They are super weak and it just – it's an unsatisfying ending because it's like,
1: well, I killed him in one round. Like, Well, you've got to make it balanced, right? That's why – I mean to to make an NFL metaphor, um, they do their best to put similar ranked teams and also high offense teams uh, on Thursday night football or Monday night football or Sunday night football in prime time because they want them to be shootouts and they want them to come down to the wire. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that's – but it's funny by the end of the season – the teams have changed so much and there's been so many injuries that some of these end up being blowouts because you know the season didn't go how it was planned. Yeah. Um, because they have to make the schedule in the beginning of the year. So I think that's the tough thing with sport. I think sport requires a really good dungeon master to do mm-hmm. combat as sport because they they need to know the rules good enough to keep everything consistent, both rules wise and like role play wise. Um and that just takes a skilled dungeon master. Um, yeah, and I think or uh, Will, uh, Will, I think is that for you, David, when you're playing in his game, and I feel like you can thrive in his world both as a min-maxing munchkin, um, and having fun narratively because you know the rules, you know his house rules. Um, oh yeah, I never said I didn't world. have fun. Oh I, no, I mean, no, I'm, I'm yeah. saying I, I feel like combat as sport is kind of what you prefer, right? You want to know the rules, you want to be able to optimize. Depending upon the
2: game, yeah. If it's yeah. like a game game gamers game, then yeah, sure. Like that's <laughs> game, fun.
0: gamers game. Gamers, gamers rise up. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: no, man. but
2: like if I'm if I'm playing D D and it's like it's explicit like this is more of a game than it is a story or a combat as war, then yeah, I'm like, yeah, I enjoy that. I enjoy that aspect of the game. Yeah. I enjoy the like the rules, the min maxing style of combat whereas i also enjoy like having more role play opportunities in a war setting or a cinema setting where it's more focused yeah. on the story than the actual
0: gameplay and dice i just want to add that in dnd fourth edition they did a really good job of making combat as sport very achievable to an average person the way that they organize their stat blocks and um, oh, yeah. game design it, I, I would say so jake you, you disagree that you don't think dnd5 is a monster fighting game i still say it is but <laughs> but dnd4 was a monster fighting board game and it was <laughs> very very tightly designed for that and uh-huh. um Maybe, maybe I'll do like a segment on fourth. Because there's a lot of cool things they did. Like we with, should. With or just like in- a
1: Patreon episode. That yeah, maybe,
0: be good. I think we will. Um, but the information design was great and um, it was totally possible. Whereas with five, it's a lot harder to um, tighten those uh, those bolts just to where they need to be.
1: Yeah. Um, and so the final one, so we have combat as war, combat as sports. And then uh, I think this is one we probably just made up. Uh, combat as cinema. Um, and so we deserve a happy ending slash narrative payoff. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so this is, if you guys have listened to the show, you know me, um, you know that narrative payoff is very, very important to me. Um, but also it has to be earned. Um, there's uh, on the wonderful website, uh, TV tropes, uh, one of the tropes is earn your happy ending. Um, and I think that is kind of in the, in the vein of all of my games, uh, because there will have to be sacrifices along the way. You don't know how it's going to end up. There are going to be ramifications for the world. But in the end, arcs are going to complete. Um, and I think there, there's a lot of value in finishing something. And getting that moment. That crescendo. That sweet release.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that sweet release is death. This is war.
2: <laughs>
0: Back to war. Alexa, and my life. <laughs> yeah, it is, it, it is important. Because I think... Um, maybe I'm just beating a dead horse here, but... If you've ever watched a war documentary or you've seen like how oh, history works out, yeah. there is not often happy endings. In fact, there there are very cinema. very it's tragic war. things that happen in the real world that are unsatisfying and really don't make for good film. Just go, yeah, um, yeah go read a history book. <laughs> no,
1: seriously, uh, I I really um I'm I really 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 want to do a World War One like a Great War campaign um where you know they they have you know gunpowder obviously so it's like my world but they have like bolt-action rifles and stuff and they're in trench warfare and it's disgusting and brutish and bloody and it's pure combat as war you could be killed by an artillery shell at any time um it just is like a one-shot just to almost feel Mm -hmm. like what it was like in world war one like oh that'd be
0: brutal and, and awesome yeah, but not necessarily satisfying if you're or running. Or fun. It. That's it true. Would, like if where's you. Where's my
1: happy ending, Jake?
2: I paid for a happy ending. Oh
0: no.
1: <laughs> no, because I think it's <laughs> important to communicate what you want here, but also um, to <laughs> kind of branch out. And it's like, okay, this this little one will do. It will be combat a sport, or this little one will do. Uh, so so yeah, maybe you'll do this little one is going to be combat a sport. It's like a gladiator arena. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're just gonna have fun um and see who's the best you know um and then we're, we'll do another one it's just this one is pure combat and like you guys probably will not survive and it's like okay that's combat as war um and then i feel like my normal D 5e is just combat is cinema like earn yeah. your happy ending um but expect narrative payoff <laughs> um yeah
2: let's uh roll on down to random table talk Random Table Talk. We're going to be generating some villains to fit in with our bosses this
0: week. <laughs> oh, that's, can we have that that's laugh? It. Today on Random Table Talk, we are generating villains from the DMG. Yeet. This is from Chapter 4, uh, creating non player characters under the section titled Villains. All right. All right, so Jake, we're, um, since you're the one who always rolls. We'll start by rolling a D8 to determine your villain's scheme. All right. D8. Yeah. Okay. That is a four. Okay. So this gives you your category mayhem. And now roll a D6 to determine the exact specifics of mayhem. Four. Four is you want to overthrow a government. Already sounds like the Joker. Like a revolution. Mm, All right. Next, we're determining your methods. Roll a D20. Okay, that is an 8 an 8 gives you execution roll a d8 oh. Oh. <laughs> you
1: could go to the french revolution <laughs> this is sounding, if it's oh beheading it's, it's G. <laughs>
0: uh, it is a 6 Okay, that gives you hanging
1: oh, oh man ooh. Ooh. oh my gosh so, it, so I'm imagining
2: so someone is just like systematically going through and like hanging high officials just like outside oh, in public man. like off of like a high cathedral oh, like or something dead of night too yeah like
1: it's not a spectacle you just wake up in the morning and suddenly the mayor is hanging like the
0: king's just hanging holy there. crap that would be oh. mayhem Jeez, <laughs> oh, which is exactly our villain's goal yes it is um oh. <laughs> so next we're going to determine the villain's secret weakness jake roll a d8 okay one a hidden object holds the villain's soul. It's a lich. Huh. It's a lich. It's a lich. But I feel like he maybe does a lot of makeup, um, mm. or maybe
1: casts minor illusions, so disguise he appears self. as like this. Yeah, disguise self that he appears as like this revolutionary war hero. Um, oh. I'm thinking kind of Napoleon Bonaparte esque, um, but he's doing all of this, this these horrible things and orchestrating all this. But like the, these people who are maybe good natured. Who are part of like the Vox Populi, you know, sort of rebels don't know they're secretly serving a, a lich. This <laughs> type of
0: villain, um, I don't know if this is the main villain of a whole campaign. This seems sort of like a, a minor villain who is doing things in the city yes. while the players are just trying to do other things, right? Too yeah. many fires to put yes. out. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's great. I he imagine
2: he is like, like he was killed by like the government before. <gasps> oh, yeah. So, that, he, was, so he turned oh into my a God. lich. He and that's hung. why he's just trying to cause mayhem.
1: He was hung as a traitor.
0: Oh. oh, and he wasn't. He's a war hero that was never recognized and hung as a traitor. <laughs> yeah. That's the one. Or oh, maybe the man. government. Uh, okay, so here's here's what happened. He it was two countries at war, or maybe two city states. We'll keep it small scale. Yeah. Um, he fought for his side. He was a war hero, but ultimately his city state lost the war. So he then he was captured, and all of his squad was taken and, and hanged yes uh for whatever uh, right they're, they're the war, yes. and then they rewrite history to because the, the victors write history yeah and then God. he was able to come back through some some means and now he's taking his revenge on all these executives or uh
1: leaders yeah oh that's so good yeah and i love this being in the background like like someone comes up to like oh did you hear the the governor was hung yesterday uh, and, like, the adventurer's like, we don't have time for that. We're trying to uh, find some uh, goblin outpost or something. You know, like, it's it's just kind of politics. Um, no. And I think politics need to happen in games, but they don't always have to be the forefront. It's just like, oh, yeah, there's some minor revolution here. Yeah, they're they're really upset about taxes here. Like, those need to exist, but they don't necessarily need to be um, front and center. As politics mm-hmm. often aren't. They're often just kind of this buzz in the background. That's
0: true. Um, you want to roll one more villain? Yeah,
1: yes. that one was
0: very... That themed really well. Um, D8, okay. boy. D8, D8 for the scheme. Eight. Okay. Okay, so that is a 7. 7 gives you revenge. Roll a okay. D4. Revenge,
1: D4. Little spiky boy. Okay, Um.
0: that is 3. Avenge the death of a loved one. Okay. I'm already liking it. Oh, I'm already seeing connections with their previous villain. Let's move to the methods. Roll a d20. Good. 20. A 12. 12 is murder. Roll a d10.
1: (laughs) D10. A five. Electrocution. Oh. Oh. Weird. Okay. Okay. So their loss of a loved one has angered them. They want revenge. They do it through murder and they do it through electrocution. Hmm. oh interesting imagine like a maybe an angered storm giant i was um, thinking an elemental but a giant compass. Or oh like a like a there's not really a lightning genasi or like i don't know the genie? oh like yeah a a gen- so specific it is it is okay uh weakness or d8 okay um
0: that is an eight It is the villain loses its power if a mystic bargain if struck long ago is completed. Oh weird. This does sound like a genie. Like a djinn. This is This is some like outer plane stuff. Like elemental being
1: and I really Or maybe it's a person
2: who bargained with a genie. Oh and the
1: genie Oh and the genie like did like what do they call it? Uh like the monkey paw like made their wish horrible yeah and so he he wished for something like maybe his wife to be beautiful or i don't know something and then the wife is just killed somehow probably like somehow yeah and then so now he is just pissed no he has like he has like he has um
2: he has like the midas touch but like of like electricity Mm-hmm.
0: oh yeah That's oh so terrible. he probably yeah he wished so he accidentally for, like... killed his wife but wait okay so it's revenge how would killing strangers revenge himself against the genie no he's not killing strangers right it's just against one
1: person it just says murder it didn't say like genocide yeah so i feel like this so guy might be is just, just
2: trying to get information to get but if
1: this is a this doesn't sound like a villain totally so the genie would have to be maybe the mayor of the town or like someone that like a beloved figure hmm that this guy's trying to assassinate. Like, he's just like... And, like, maybe the the heroes try to stop him, but once he's imprisoned, he, like, tells the story. And then the the heroes are like, oh, I kind of get it. (laughs) Yeah, that's justifiable homicide. Makes sense. (laughs) Oh, that's interesting. Oh, that electrocution added a weird element to it. It did. It certainly did. So it was shocking. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Shocking indeed.
2: So now it's time for us to... uh... Take a take a walk to uh, down the road. Take a walk to, the to feature side. our favorite creature. It's The creature feature. feature.
1: feature. All right. So, so uh, what is our creature for this week? Well, well,
0: in honor of Halloween, I thought that we should ooh. do the boniest boy in town, the skeleton. <laughs> All Roar. right. Skellies. Spooky. Dirt. Scary skeletons. <laughs> All right.
1: So my question before we begin uh, is: How do skeletons sound when they like run? They just sound like clinking bones. I bet it be just clattering, like a yeah. gross clattering.
0: Like, oh. oh, oh God! Is he doing the bone? <laughs> yeah, I was, I was the bone bat. <laughs> oh. I use that to illustrate some sound effects um, in my game to my players oh, on God. sunday and they Is were all it, grossed we're, out
1: i think skeletons are not um i don't think they're represented in media well what do you guys say like when i think of skeletons <laughs> i they need representation they, yeah. they, they need, we need I'm, the, I'm on the committee for skeletons here <laughs> we, we want to raise skeleton
2: diversity. awareness but like
1: most of the time like we think <laughs> zombies like undead walking dead that sort of thing <laughs> But, like, skeletons, I think of Jason the Argonauts. Have you guys seen that?
0: Yes. The stop motion
1: skeletons. Really cool stop motion skeletons. Um, And then the only other one I could think of is Pirates of the Caribbean, the first one. Um, Weren't those zombies? Well, the people, whenever they got into the light, turned into skeletons. I mean, they were zombies, but, like, most of their flesh was gone. Oh, man. Yeah. That was OG. Yeah. So. Yeah, other than that, I, maybe because it's really hard to do that much CGI for skeletons. It's probably really expensive.
0: But um, I think, so we have zombies and we have skeletons in media. And a skeleton, I, th- I feel, is just sort of like the next phase of a zombie if It's, it lives it's more enough. expensive.
1: Yeah. I think it's just more expensive. Because, like, a zombie is a little more humanoid. Like, it has a little more flesh on its bones, Literally. Mm-hmm. It's a little um, more so that, That's interesting. So skeleton, because most of time, I don't think of skeletons for like low level, you know, if we're thinking like gnolls, goblins, zombies. I don't think of skeletons, even though I should. If skeletons I saw a
0: skeleton are... that was walking of its own volition oh my God, with a sword and shield walking toward me, like, I feel like they're much scarier oh than we give them credit for because we live are in a society where like we see it all the time.
1: Yeah. Yes. No, I totally agree because um, I would have nightmares. Um, I didn't like going to, I loved going to museums my whole life but i didn't like going to natural history museums because the big like any animal that's just its skeleton is really kind of scary yeah especially when i was a kid um now uh i'm learning to live with it now Um, did you
0: now jake (laughs) i have um a scary fact for you for halloween did you know that every human being actually has a skeleton inside of them right now that's a myth that's a myth. (laughs) <laughs> just just remember folks
2: there's
1: a skeleton inside of each
2: and every one of you there's a legend
0: yeah a legends
1: tell no like um i don't know i re- i think i saw jurassic park and then i went to a natural history museum um and i just remember having nightmares for like several weeks of like skeletal raptors just running down the hallway Jeez. and like yeah just any like yeah a skeleton moving like it implies some magical
0: mystery meanness <laughs> Well, uh, according to D&D, it is created by the Animate Dead spell. Um, It says they have no connection to their past, and uh, they are obedient servants that follow directions to the letter.
1: If you're looking at it, do they have their stats? Yes. I'd love to hear that.
0: All right, so the skeleton has armor class 13. It's wearing armor scraps. good. That's interesting because when I picture a skeleton, I just see bare bleached bones. I do too. But they're wearing armor scraps.
1: But there would be scraps of like uh, yeah, chainmail or like hide, leather, plate, or, you know, hi, yeah, hide cloth. Well, imagine that,
0: So I want you to picture a Roman legionnaire's armor with the skirt mm-hmm. and the helmet with the the red um, mohawk. Yeah. But then yeah. just put a skeleton inside of it, and that's well, already oh, a very man. different image than just a, a naked skeleton wandering around. Yeah, so. yeah, hmm. yeah. You
1: can play with undead a lot based on what you wanted them to be in the past life or like when they were alive. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause think of like a heavily armored minotaur. That's a skeleton.
0: Oh my gosh. There is a that's... minotaur skeleton stat in the monster. Oh, in the basic oh yeah, yeah.
1: I've used that before. It, it, that's, that's one way to like make it much more. I don't know. Cause we think of a skeleton. It, it is scary to think about in real life, but I think of Halloween. It's so cliche. It's almost like spooky, scary skeleton. <laughs> and like, it's, it's just not, I don't know.
0: It should be more scary than it is. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're just desensitized to it. <laughs> so um, I want to talk. I want to talk a little bit about about how to um, really use these in the game effectively. They're only a challenge rating one quarter, and they only have thirteen health. So these are cannon fodder type creatures.
2: Yes. So you just want to just throw them at at players. Just mass amounts of them.
0: Well, as I discussed earlier, if these are cannon fodder, then what, would, what is a enemy that you could pair up with skeletons to buff and make them scarier? A necromancer? Uh, yeah. Something that's more but like, like run-of-the-mill. Like, like not min- quite boss status. Like oh, another like support. A,
1: a, like a bone naga? Oh. Or like something that yeah. would fit along the lines of that. Um, bone nagas are pretty... Or even just some sort of ranged um even a skeleton wearing uh or wielding like a longbow Uh um you know and you have your the other buddy skeletons who are just trying to mob them keep them at range while while the bow and arrow i think teaming up uh cannon fodder minions with a ranged uh enemy is oftentimes effective yeah i think um another way to make skeletons good is either throw a lot at them um and even lower their health. Like even make them like each have like three health, but send like forty at them. Ooh. Um another yeah. one that's really good is uh surprise. Right? Cause if you see a skeleton on the ground, my reaction as a player would be I want to investigate that. Oh, imagine the bones. you know or yeah, like seeing like gold or like seeing like uh uh you know, like a pocket full of gold or like maybe a nice shield or something going over to the skeleton and like reaching in its rib cage. And then suddenly it goes <laughs> and like gets up. Like that would be, that, that's a good way to. to or
2: buckle. just like,
1: just imagine just like you have
2: like, you're, you walk into a room and there's like a bunch of hanging skeletons. Like they're like people who have been hung and then like you wake them up and they like, they start struggling and they like start like trying to come after oh.
1: People. that's great oh, like that, that would be yeah.
2: terrifying yeah where they're like chained up and they're just like like losing bones as they're like
0: wrestling to like get at you yeah i like the idea of putting a skeleton into another monster oh. so um you could you could put a skeleton inside of a mimic so like you open a chest and the skeleton pops out and then the chest also attacks <laughs> <laughs> it's just double that's like a <laughs> double whammy Exception. yeah um, or, you could, or you
1: could
2: have a humanoid and have a skeleton inside of them. <laughs> uh, that's that's too scary.
0: That's way too scary. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, also, um, a ooze. You could have a skeleton oh. inside of just a very small ooze. So it's almost like ooze armor. Yes. And so you're really yes. fighting two enemies at once. So oh. I, I wonder if you would get like extra attacks because it really is. Oh. That's weird. That's a yeah. weird interaction.
1: I like it though. I, I'm, I'm encouraged to use skeletons more because they don't get the just. They don't get their just. Uh... Their due what process. They deserve their due process.
0: In more kind of t- tome of foes, the foam of toes. They uh, there's done. an enemy called the Skull Lord, that is the perfect huge heavy hitter to accompany with your skeletons.
1: Oh, what does it look
0: like? Um, imagine a big burly beefy boy. Uh, done. <laughs> it is a skeleton wearing like expensive robes and plate armor, but also has two heads on either like one. On either shoulder has skulls on it and one of those skulls has an eye patch on it.
1: Whoa, that's cool.
0: Yeah. That's anyway, he's cool. he's got all kinds of abilities that work really well with um, skeletons. Yeah. yeah. Including healing undead allies who are nearby just for starting mm. next to him. Yeah, that's sweet. Super fun. Sweet. Well, that is the creature feature. Thank you for listening to Vox Arcana episode 29. I'm William. I'm Jake. And I'm David. We'll see you next time. Follow us on social media. Our Twitter is at Vox Pod. Our Facebook and Instagram are at Vox Podcast, And our email is VoxArcanapodcast at gmail.com. If you have a question you would like to submit to our question vault, you can email us there.